Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Recovering nicely from uh, all the excitement yesterday's uh, Miami Grand Prix. Calming down and getting to sleep, but... Uh... Curb, calm down. We'll get to... We, I know you want to talk about F1, and believe me, we will get there. Curb, uh, let's let's address the elephant in the room, shall we? Pachyderm in the parlor. Uh, okay, the, this Miami Grand Prix, uh, there's so uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to unpack too much of it, because it's just... you could I could probably go on for two hours. For some reason, the Miami Grand Prix... And I suspect that the Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, after it is just a, a much bigger deal than Austin. Would you agree with that? I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it outshone Austin, but they certainly pulled all pulled out all the stops. All right. Well, my view is it did outshow Austin. Okay. You were complaining. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a couple steps back. You were complaining last podcast bitterly about the. The post, the, the podium award show at Barber being uh, no better than some high school track meets you've been to. Right. And I agree. And I think what Miami was to me, and I think maybe to other IndyCar fans elsewhere, and maybe to some of the, I mean, because I've, based on the tweets of some of the drivers I've seen and some of the management, I mean, maybe just wake up call area is like, this is how you put on a spectacle. To me, that was just the whole thing was downright amazing, right? To take a parking lot in, you know, probably not the best part of Miami and turn that into the event that they turned it into in its first year. I mean, that is remarkable on many levels to me. And I realize that there's so much more money available to do it than there is for IndyCar. But that's how you make an event an event, a spectacle. You know, you don't do the high school track meet thing at the end and expect it to be an event. Honestly, I acknowledge everything you're saying. And um, what do they do that IndyCar could learn from and try to, uh, you know, use to up their game? Let's narrow in on one aspect that, that came up, and I think that was fairly talked about, was the coverage Sky one sky coverage versus uh, you know what we what we're currently getting from NBC, which I think we we're you know pleased to have, right? Um, sure. Still am pleased to have. But would you agree with what seems to be the the standard way of thinking there that uh, you know the coverage uh, the F1 coverage is f- far better, just you know far more in depth, far you know much higher level, or do you think that the NBC stuff is you know for IndyCar is adequate. Well, I think IndyCar's coverage, uh, as happy as we are to have it, and and the effort, they they, they tend to take a, a theme or a subject and you know beat you over the head with it the whole telecast, um, and not always look for the the in-depth stories during the race and that kind of thing. Um, you know, at the same time, I'm watching that race yesterday, and there's plenty of time to have conversations about nuances in the race because there's not a hell of a lot going on on the track. I mean, there's very there's very little play by play to be called, and uh, more just conversation and analysis. It's the intrigue of the driver and the team, and you know what's going on in, politically inside the team, and with that driver and his contract situation. Where, you know, IndyCar, and you might think this is better thing about IndyCar, right? Like it's just about the racing, right? It's just good. You know, IndyCar doesn't have that. You know, they don't. 
you know, play up that intrigue angle. And, I, and I'm just wondering if that's, a, you know, obviously NASCAR, that's all it is. Um, and I'm going to get to NASCAR before this is out, by the way. I'm just flummoxed by that. Just at almost a loss for words about how stupid it is. So they play up the intrigue angle, right? They they talk about the personalities, and and I don't think NBC spends a lot of time on that, other than knowing that. Did you know that Colton Hurd is a drummer? Will Power too. He likes to eat a taco after he wins a race. I mean, mm-hmm. that's about that's about as good as they get there. Well, and Alex Palau eats fried chicken now. Don't forget that. Oh, that yeah. So and what brought up, I think, what started the whole conversation over coverage curve, if you recall, was the the Liberty Media guy. And and he says, you know, he said, look, I'm not a hater of the Indy 500. My my team won it last year or one of the, you know, we were involved in the team that won it last year. So we're not a hater. But, you know, look at the difference in the coverage. And that's that's a big part of the battle. So, look, based on the job Liberty Media has done with F1, you have to kind of listen to that guy, don't you? You can't just ignore what he says. True. That's true. The 500 is one race that they put, obviously, extra amounts of effort and attention to it. So it seems like an odd one to, to pick out. The pre-race show for these Formula One races is longer than the race itself, and they're just babbling mindlessly. I don't, you know, it's like they they seem to hire like ten ex-Formula, you know, former champions and hand them all microphones and uh, just tell them to talk for a while. Like that and, John uh, Watson. Well, I don't know about him, but like Jensen Button, I saw yesterday. I loved how he said in one of the, I think it was one of the practices. He said, "It's clear as gin." I just love that statement. <laughs> The guys from his generation. Because he sounded half crocked as he said it, by the way, and I, I just loved it. I just well, loved the guys it. from the guys from his generation might be uh, interesting to listen. Maybe I mean you and I are pretty hardcore, right? I get that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, you know, maybe people are interested in that stuff more than almost anything else, right? What was concerning? I mean, what left kind of a pit in my stomach feeling about Miami? Uh, Kirby, is that there is just so much daylight now between F1 and IndyCar coming from our era when, you know, Bernie Ecclestone was worried about, you know, cart uh, slash IndyCar usurping him. It just that that same just pit in your stomach about, oh, God, what happened? You know, because that Miami race, that could have been an IndyCar race if 1996 hadn't happened that'll haunt uh true indycar fans forever <laughs> it's a split what what it did to things um you got a really sharp guy now running the running the show and a guy that knows how to invest in businesses and hopefully hopefully he can get through this pandemic and and, and start focusing on actually building the business in a proper way so and graham ray hall uh actually said something uh, early uh, today i believe that you know there's some kind of meeting taking place this week about Basically, the the F1 in Miami and what IndyCar can do. You know, I think what the bottom line is, is that each of their races, and, and you know, obviously they're aided by A, money, and B, um, the fact that they're, you know, going to, a lot of times, just going to a different country for a one-off, right? So it's a little easier to do it that way, but they make a spectacle of each event. IndyCar, you know, make a spectacle of each event, but they probably should really focus on that. Like, how do we make this appear to be bigger? How do we get people interested in the lives of our participants? You, you, my, my mind just keeps going back to there. That that's what has to happen. Well, the amount the amount of calls and texts that I got on Sunday from people who I know never watch uh, racing, 
right? Right. But we're commenting on various aspects of that race. I bet the I haven't seen the ratings, and I don't know even know if they're out, but I bet they're through the roof. You know, I guess the one thought I had, and, and the one, you know, with this Peacock post race show, you know, I kind of wondered um, if that isn't an opportunity to start the process. Like, let's just pick out this post race show. Let's formalize, you know, get a little more uh, formal structure. I'd say it's always going to happen and it's always going to come on after the race. And I just think that post race show might be a place where they could start to try to build something. I don't know. I, I, I watched it. I, I looked at what they did with that course and, you know, turning a parking lot into what they turned it into. And, and I just kind of left shaking my head, just uh, discouraged. And I, and I don't think I was alone in that. I Connor Daly had a bit of a tweet about it. And I, I think it is just discouraging. I'm not going to argue, sit there and tell you that the race was great. Even though I'd say for a Formula One race, that was better than most, to be honest. It's not like this doesn't happen in IndyCar, but the only thing that made it interesting was they had a couple of yellows that bunched it back up. Yeah, but whatever. It was a better race than most. But, I mean, I had one person come in and it's like, man, that was really boring. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, you know, IndyCar racing is so much better. The the racing itself is so much better. I think you and I would agree with that. It's not even a contest. It's like, the, right. but it's not translating. I mean, I think we've got the rest of our lives to unpack why and how and what should be done. But at the end of the day, a bit discouraging if you're an IndyCar guy. I just, I, I just feel that way. I don't, I don't know if you share share the same uh, feeling coming out of that watching that. But I guess the uh, success of the event itself, the resurgence of the Austin uh, event on the heels of apparently Drive to Survive, the f- the further growth to come, right? With uh, Las Vegas spending $240 million on land adjacent to the track, which it sounds like they're going to use to build out additional Formula One facilities to complement the race. And, uh, and, and guess and who's going to be there? Not because I want to go, because my wife wants to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That that says it all right there. Right. So I mean, but that that momentum, the scale of the Formula One series and event, sure. If you're an IndyCar fan, hoping that IndyCar can have its own resurgence and become a shadow of what it was in the '90s, you're like, oh my, they got so much work to do. Races like that wouldn't last like in NASCAR, right? I mean, a typical American audience is not going to put up with. 10 races like that in a row, like they will in Formula One, right? They're going to be like, wait, wait, we need a green-white checker. Wait, wait, we need a, we need stage racing. So it'll be interesting to see how how long uh, Formula One can hold this level of attention from American audiences. The question is here, one of the questions is, is you know, will this uh, rising tide raise all boats? In other words, will the success of F1 uh, translate at least at least partially to IndyCar and make IndyCar more popular, and it could. I don't think there's uh, any friends of IndyCar in, in either Formula One or NASCAR. Don't get me wrong there, but the popularity of F1 in particular could end up, you know, giving some offshoots to IndyCar. I think so, and it's nice for IndyCar, you know, Mark Miles, people like that, to play nice and and uh, applaud their success and and claim that it'll help everybody, but. Um, ESPN is still not going to be showing IndyCar results uh, anywhere near the top of the page. And um, NBC isn't doing anything to promote Formula One, I don't think. So to, I don't know how much cross-pollination there will be. You know what Miami reminded me of, Curb? Nope. Surfer's Paradise in the in the 90s. 
with I attended some uh, well, races, right? Sure, yeah. So, um, and, and surfers was, I mean, it was an event, right? It was an event in the country. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just a local thing. It was a, an event in the country, and and there were, you know, quote unquote stars there, and you kind of had the quote unquote uh, glamorous location and all that kind of thing. It just, it's, it just reminded me of that, and um, I would love to have. A, you know a few more events like that in the indycar schedule that like surfers used to be i mean it was it was it was something and it made a difference i don't think there's a lot of enthusiasm for that right now um, no the other thing that uh disturbed me a little bit about that race is did you notice like the indycar what i would call quote-unquote indycar sponsors at uh at the miami race game bridge auto nation yeah um you know and and uh, salesforce you know like Indianapolis is the second largest uh, office for Salesforce, and you know I think every now and then they sponsor a car, Speedway. But other than that, uh, they have no real presence in IndyCar, and and there they are splashed all over the Miami track, and you know that certainly is a a testament to their business model. Uh, yep. But I I agree with you. And then and you think for a fraction of what it costs Salesforce to have those banners out there, they could sponsor like two teams in IndyCar. <laughs> Yeah, but my my guess is they they think they my, got the ROI on it. Yeah, my my guess is the ROI on the 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 Formula One stuff is way better. As yeah. uh, as I think uh, you were you sent something to me about uh, cognizant and their view of uh, their sponsor of uh, the Aston team, Aston Martin team. Well, I think they said that uh, their business to business relationships alone have have uh, more than paid for their investment in the in the team. Let's uh, a couple more things just coming out of there quickly. Let's let's go through them if we could. Um, Martin Brundle. He's a delight. Look, Curb, you and I uh, defended Martin when he had his little uh, run in with uh, Megan the Stallion and her bodyguards. Here he is in Miami doing another, uh, you know, grid walk. Again, he's caught all kinds of flack uh, of, of this and. Um, I've, I've watched most of the incidents. I didn't watch it live, but I've, I've watched most of the incidents. His biggest uh, faux pas, I guess, mistaking uh, some gentleman for um, Mahomes, right? Patrick, right, Patrick Mahomes, yeah. Right. Now, by the way, I'm just going to state from the from the start here that I, I am in total defense of Martin Brundle on all of this. For one – the, the the grid was packed and he mentioned that too as he was like it's like there's so many people here it was like it was insane right there's like right. way more people on that grid than there normally is in an f1 race so like just finding somebody worthwhile to talk to it, it w- would have been a challenge okay and then, <laughs> and then did you see you know he's sitting there struggling to talk to these celebrities and whatever and then he runs into an old buddy the king of bahrain or king abdullah <laughs> like oh a friendly face, finally, the King Abdullah, somebody <laughs> I know and can talk to. <laughs> yeah, who can probably buy and sell everybody on that grid. Right? And he's he's not wearing the flowing robes; he's wearing a polo, you know, golf shirt, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking like anything like a king. So, so number one, I would have mistaken that guy for Patrick Mahomes. Okay, I mean, I'm not a close follower of football, and I'll admit that, but I'm pretty sure Martin Brundle's not big watching the NFL every, uh, you know, Sunday evening at his place either, right? There's probably something in his ear saying, hey, that looks like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, you know, they're making a big deal of that. (laughs) Serena and Venus weren't very friendly. Beckham, 
was reasonable. I thought he, he you know, did, he did, a, uh, did, a, did a reasonable interview with Beckham. I mean, Beckham, you know, was obviously busy doing things. So he chased him down. And he, I mean, it's a terrible position to be in. I'd hate to. I mean, it'd be the worst job in the world having to track down these celebrities and like get them to talk to you, right? Yeah, I mean, Pharrell, Pharrell gave him a nice interview. Yeah. So, and so did uh, DJ Khalid and all that yeah, kind of stuff. So, there, there you go. I mean, say what you want, but I mean, oh, so, I, like, you, anybody go try to do that job. Just exactly. I mean, just. And that and so that brings me great to my point right here, which I hate to do this, but I have to. Is they. Did they opine on this again? They opined on this again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God is correct. Imagine they being on that grid and how well they would do in that same situation. All right. But they they can't just let it go, can they? Of course not. And so and they also has to go on on his pulpit there. He has to get on his uh, you know high high horse and condescend to Mr. Brundle again. And he tweets his good friend, Mr. Brundle, I bet his good friend, who's he said, right? Yes. In the latest episode of Martin Brundle has no idea about black people in America. It's not Patrick Mahomes. Okay. You know, you, you know you know what you know what I gave Martin Brundle credit for? He owned it. He said, Hey, I'm sorry, what's your name? I'm sorry, I mis I mistook you for somebody else. Glad right. to have met glad to have met you. Thank you. Or something like that. Yeah. I mean he didn't just he didn't just slink away, act like nothing happened. What, and, what had is, that, and had nothing to do with white red, white or black. Color right. I mean like I think the implication by they is that like oh, oh you know it's kind of like the classic all all, all black people look alike or whatever type of thing you know mm-hmm. um, I mean Patrick Mahomes by the way has a are you playing ping pong there Curb just uh, the you know the button on my pen here clicker on my pen sorry she's got to stop that um, Patrick Mahomes does has a very distinct look right and I have to say this guy looked. A lot like Patrick Mahomes. I don't care, you know. To me, to it, to the casual observer, the guy mm-hmm. looked like Patrick Mahomes. So he's, he's just, about a foot. Other than the fact he's about a foot taller. Other than that, yeah. I wouldn't know that. I mean, quarterbacks gen- tend to be tall. Sure. Okay? No, I know. Yeah. So, so, anyways, my point is, they wants to turn this into yet another like, you know, Martin Brundle's. I mean, it's it's almost it's pretty close to kind of calling him a racist, right? Pretty close. Not Over quite there. there. Not least, quite there, but you know. at least let me help my good buddy understand how things work in America. Yeah, right? and, and, yeah, because I have a a fundamental understanding of it because of certain situations I'm in. Right, That's right. That That's makes right. me and, that makes me an expert. And uh, people people I've just met are my brother and my. Yeah, it's just it's sickening. But anyway, it's sickening. So I, I just I, screw you, they, and, and you go out there and do it and see how you do. Right. God. Yeah, if you're a race car analyst and you're out there trying to handle, you know, to interview both race car people, racing, you know, people and the stars that are also out there, you know, I think he does fine. Yeah, it's look, and in its own way, it's entertaining. True. Yeah, it's true. Right. So, you know, when Murray Walker before him, same thing. It's kind of an old shtick, but it's a good one. Might be the most entertaining thing about an F1 race, honestly. Curb, um, 
Is Zach Brown uh, morphing into Michael Andretti? I mean, those two are looking more and more alike every minute. And I know I'm not the only one to observe this, but I got to tell you, it's it's true. Well, they're tied at the hip, right? It looks like they're sharing DNA is what it looks like. Hard to say. Curb, uh, last thing <laughs> on Formula One slash IndyCar related items. Okay. Uh, um, Bernie Ecclestone. Yes. You sent me a quote. I just love this quote because it's really the funniest quote ever. Bernie Ecclestone, quote, they're producing Formula One American style. It may well be that that's it's good because so many stupid things come out of America and everyone is happy. But it wasn't the way I ran things, unquote. <laughs> it's, I, can't, I can't read that without cracking up. That European condescension you're referring to there just laid bare, and um, clearly Bernie just hates what's going on. He, even though it's great for the, he just hates it. It's just not what he, not what he well, prefers. Because he didn't do it. It wasn't his. It's not his brainchild, so he's not going to be a fan of it. I don't think he's. I but I think he's being sincere. Like he just can't stand it. He can't stand. You know, watching the Americanization of that series, I think it's bothering him. He shouldn't have uh, sold out for four billion dollars then. Well, I didn't say it was going to stop him from taking the money, but yes. <laughs> Did you see um, where somebody apparently asked, you know, after they conquered Las Vegas, maybe they should go to Indianapolis for the next uh, American stop on the Formula One tour? Is it? Oh no, no, wait a second. We don't. We need to slow down. And make sure we uh, digest things first before we. <laughs> Talk about going to Indianapolis of all places. <laughs> He's a, yeah. I, I don't think there's any appetite for uh, Middle America in Formula no, One these days. No, I think uh, IndyCar can kind of operate in Middle America safely uh, away from uh, any. Uh, I think Penske, because he was talking about bringing the WEC, and then I think he, uh, yeah, all but ruled out F1's coming back. Yeah, uh, Saturday night they had the the Rev. It's like a party they throw at Speedway um, to open the month of May every year. And yeah. uh, so, you know, all the teams and the drivers and everybody would normally be there. But apparently about half the field was in Miami. So half the drivers, oh my God. Half the drivers were in Miami and worked at the at the, oh Rev, uh, the Rev party in, in Indianapolis. Yeah. So before we get into that, I, I you know, and I, I referenced this earlier in the podcast here is that um, NASCAR continues to baffle me with what they call racing the most recent uh episode being uh at darlington is the darlington goodyear 400 at darlington raceway joey logano goes and and you know with like two laps left maybe a couple more i i don't know it doesn't matter he punts him right into the wall i mean just runs right up on the back bumper and just off he goes right he ends up winning the race you know, there's name calling afterwards. And Logano, in his comments, basically said, yeah, I absolutely did that because he had it coming to him because he tried to run me into the wall, you know, 10 laps earlier or whatever. Right. NASCAR, it's just amazing to me. It's like so this guy just runs another guy into a wall, wins the race. Right. And NASCAR's like, yeah, we're fine with that. I mean, just openly admits it. Like, he didn't have any worry that anybody's going to come and say, well, don't say you did it on purpose. You know what I mean? There was none of that. You'd have to say that was just openly encouraged by NASCAR that this is the way those races are going to run. 
And so my question to you is, what kind of person sits there and endures, you know, 300 laps or whatever it is of this when there's only five seconds in the last, you know, one or two laps that's ever going to matter in a NASCAR race? Well, you're asking me to explain the inexplicable, and um, and I don't know how to. Um, other than I think it's it's apparently a habit that uh, NASCAR fans have developed, and they stick to it, and they watch these races. And I think that these kind of finishes to the races qualify as entertainment. And then they give them things to talk about for three days after the race, create rivalries, and you know they, what do they talk about in IndyCar? We got too many nice guys, and not not any rivalries. They manufacture it. They've got these cars that are largely very safe to go banging on yeah. each other with, and and that's their show. Curb, let's us not give up and talk about the upcoming race in Indy, the GMR Grand Prix on the Indy uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. The best way of previewing that uh, that track and that race is is you know to do our picks. Should be Chamber of Commerce weather for change. Often uh, they've had pretty poor weather for the GMR Grand Prix uh, to kick off the the so-called month of May. And uh, this year should be different. Should be uh, a beautiful day to be out there. And I encourage people in town to go up and buy your tickets on race day, if not before. And Curb, will you be there attending? I will be there. I think I might uh, try the mounds in the infield this year. There you go. I've, I've, I have not missed a... Uh, a May uh, Grand Prix since uh, since they started. Nice. I will be at a punk rock festival in L.A. So let's dive into some picks, huh? Uh, let's see what kind of banter that brings about. <laughs> All right. You said I'm first? You're first. I'm going to go with um, Scotty M. Interesting. Reason? He's been very consistent all year, always been uh, near the front of the field. Uh, looking back at last year, he actually qualified fifth for this race a year ago, which would have been very early in his season. Okay. I'm not as hep on him. Uh, I think in the, the August race, in the August race, he didn't qualify all that well um, on that course. So I, I can't I can't get behind that as much as you can. But um, I, I like Will Power here, powerhouse at that, uh, at that track. Uh, I cannot fault you there. Um, a lot of a lot of poles and a lot of wins at that track for uh, World Power. Moving on. Uh, I'm going to move on to uh, Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, good um, choice. Not only Will Power track, but a, a Penske track for ever since the this race uh, was inaugurated. Well, if, if you'd have let me, I'd have picked all three Penske drivers. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I might allow you because my next pick will be uh, Mr. Award. Well, you already took the pesky driver. So. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I hear you, but uh, I'm going to say award. At least historically, Mr. Inconsistent, right? He's on top of the world one week and and uh, struggling or nowhere to be found the next week sometimes. So they seem to have it dialed in a little bit more. He seems to be dialed in a bit more. I, I, I'm not going to forsake him at this track. Uh, I'm going to close with uh, Alex Palau. He was strong at this track in both races last year and um and he's been quiet but uh, strong and consistent this year so one pick to go mm. you know guy who's strong there curb both races last year yeah do you are you brave enough to pick him the bad boy of indycar 
I'm gonna take the he's bad just, boy. I'm gonna take the bad boy IndyCar. He's Romain. the only guy, he's the only one in IndyCar that didn't know he's the bad boy though. <laughs> That's true. Romaine Gross Gene. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna take the bad boy IndyCar two second places. That's impossible to ignore going into this race this year. Well, he was on the pole in May, right? So yeah. interesting to see if uh, Christian Lundgaard can um, uh, replicate his success here last year. Well, I think the, uh, I mean, of the people we didn't pick, I think that, you know, just to name a few, you know, for your gamblers out there and, you know, just paying what the odds are. I mean, uh, our recent winner, Renus VK, has to be a guy you got to look at. Well, de- defending champion of this race, too. Yeah, that's true. You know, Curb, if Graham Rahal could just qualify up a little further, he true. might actually win this race. <laughs> true. Uh, he, he always does well here, uh, all kidding aside. Um, uh, but usually has too uh, too big of a hill to climb to, to yeah, get all the way to the top. Last year qualified 11th and 16th in those two races. I mean, it's just impossible. Another guy, uh, another two guys we haven't talked really about uh, is you know Colton Herta or, or Alexander Rossi. I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, I'm not worried about Rossi making me look bad, but uh, uh, certainly a chance of Herta making us look bad. I mean, I picked the guy to win that win it all this year, and he's so far not. I mean, he's been fast, but he's not showing the mentality it's going to take to win a championship. Neither he nor his team. But Nathan Brown and the Stars reporting that uh, Rossi is admitting now that he's going somewhere else next year. He just won't tell anybody where it is. Yeah, and wow. uh, his his con- his quote was that uh, you know half the battle is being fast, and the other half the battle is paying attention to all the little details that. Uh, make it possible for a team to execute on the weekend and an acknowledgement there that uh, too many mistakes are being made uh, holding Rossi's effort back. And uh, certainly I think the same can be said about hers. All right, Curb, we have gone on an unbelievable amount of time. All right. Twitter handle, right. And, um, and our sponsor and take us out. Twitter at hero IndyCar H I R-O, at Hero, IndyCar. Uh, no sponsors this week, Curb. No, no sponsors. sponsors. They all they all put their money in the Miami Grand Prix, apparently. They did. They did. They did there in the GameBridge box. That's right. All right. Take care, everybody. See you later.